Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. Jesus, we thank you that you did not leave us on our own, but that you left us with your spirit. The very spirit that raised you from the dead is now at work even here this morning in your people. Spirit, I would pray that you would do the work now that you do, which is opening your word to us so that we can see it and believe it and live it out. We thank you, God, for your work in our midst and just ask that you would help us now to see your work clearly in your word and to live it out together as your people. We love you and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you are not yet seated, you're welcome to take a seat. <laughs> My name is Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here. And this morning we're going to continue in our series through the book of Acts. Uh, we're in chapter 16 this morning, so if you want to go ahead and flip there. Um, Acts, otherwise known as the Acts of the Apostles, I think we've said this a few times throughout the series, but might better have been called the Acts of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Because as much as we see God's people in the book of Acts going out and taking the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, to the ends of the earth, um, it's just as clear that it's a movement of the Spirit. Starting with Jesus' commission in Acts chapter 1, where he tells his disciples, you will have the power of the Spirit and you will take my name to the ends of the earth. So this morning, uh, chapter 16 picks up with Paul's second missionary journey. I'm going to read it, and then we'll get started. I'm going to start in verse 6. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Trous, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Trous, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia, and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Tyatera, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaimed to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. 
But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So this is the movement of the Holy Spirit as he works through his church to take the good news of his son, Jesus Christ, to the ends of the earth. We see Paul on his second missionary journey now, his second round of beatings and imprisonment. They set out with a plan, Paul and Silas and Timothy, and having been checked by the Holy Spirit are rerouted to Philippi, where they meet Lydia. Now, Lydia was meeting not in a synagogue where they would typically start their gospel mission. Um, it takes 10 Jewish men to formally establish a synagogue. So it's likely there wasn't a real strong Jewish presence at the time in Philippi. And so they meet these women at what they call a place of prayer, where they're meeting together, trying to understand the Jewish scriptures. And the Lord opens Lydia's heart and she receives the good news of Jesus from Paul and his friends. These are the, this is the first time the gospel has gone to the continent of Europe, and it's the founding of the church in Philippi. And there are some really great truths in this passage that we could spend time together this morning meditating on. We could talk this morning about missions and how the God of Jesus Christ is a missionary God, a God that goes out and wants to be known by his people. We could talk about election in God's role in our salvation, that it's God who opens our hearts, just like he opened the heart of Lydia in this passage. We can talk about the power of the Holy Spirit to free people who are held captive to spirits of divination, things like that, as we saw with the slave girl in verse 18. But this morning, I want to focus on the people in the passage, because relationships and people make truths visible. So we're going to talk about Paul, Timothy, uh, we see in verse 11, the author of the book of Acts of Luke switches to from they to we. So we see that Luke joins about uh, partway through this journey. We'll talk about Luke and Lydia and see how these relationships really put flesh on the truths in this passage. And the point that I want to emphasize this morning is that the movement of the Holy Spirit through the book of Acts and even today into our church here, the movement of the Holy Spirit is not a mobilization of individuals, but it is a movement of the body of Christ. The movement of the Holy Spirit is the movement of the whole unified body of Christ going out to take the name of Jesus to the ends of the earth. This is the way that God gets his message out, is through his unified, diverse, saved, reconciled body. We see this twofold theme throughout the New Testament letters. Open to any New Testament letter and you'll see some variation of these two themes. First, guard the message. The message that Jesus Christ is the promised Messiah that the Jews have been waiting on. And that though we are dead in our sins and trespasses, we are made alive together with Christ through faith in him and belief that his death, 
on the cross in our place for our sins has bought for us new life in Christ. And when we receive that message, we are made alive by the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead and are joined to this great work of sharing the good news of Jesus. So that's the first piece of the message that we see throughout the New Testament letters is guard the message. It's precious. And there are many who seek to corrupt it. The flip side of the same coin is, is the method. That it's not just the message that matters, but the method, the way that we carry the message into the world. And so in the New Testament letters, you'll see uh, mostly Paul exhorting the church to live as if you've been changed by this message. In other words, how can we with any sort of credibility go to our neighbor and say, brother, there is forgiveness in the blood of Jesus Christ. If we don't live as people who have received or ever given forgiveness, how can we say that God is a God that reconciles us to himself and to each other if we don't live lives of reconciliation? The method matters. We saw this play out last week in the relationship between Paul and Barnabas. A disagreement arose between Paul and Barnabas over whether or not to give John Mark a second chance. Barnabas argued with Paul, look, I know that he bailed on us on our first missionary journey, but I think we should give him another chance. Paul said no, because the method matters, and John Mark bailed. Bobby taught us last week that parting ways happens, parting ways in ministry happens. And it matters how we do it, that we do it well, that we part well when we must part. And we've certainly experienced this at Soma. We've parted ways with people over the last few years, um, and frankly, in both directions. We've parted ways with people because we've been too much of Barnabas, that we've emphasized the relationships over the message. And we've parted ways with people because we've been too much of Paul. We've emphasized the message over relationships. Again, this the work that we're doing here in the work of ministry is not our work. It's Jesus' work that he's carrying on through us, through his church. And so it matters that we part well when we must part. So as much as it depends on us, we're going to continue to part well, honoring one another and honoring Jesus. Okay, so back to the text. How we part well matters because it says things about Jesus. How we partner well also matters, and that's what we're going to focus on today. So the foundation of healthy, functional partnership in the work of the gospel starts with mutual submission to the Holy Spirit. And I love what, to me, and Tony, you guys are drawn out this morning. I think it's very evident that the Spirit is knitting this whole service together, and basically everything I'm going to say is that the work that we're doing here is the work of the Holy Spirit, that he started in Acts chapter 1. He started in the ministry of Jesus. Um, first commissioned us to carry it forward in Acts chapter 1. We see it through the book of Acts and now uh, here today. So the foundation of healthy partnership in the work of the gospel is mutual submission to the work of the Spirit in our midst. So let's look at that in, the, in our passage from this morning. Starting in verses 6 and 7, we see that Paul and his friends have a plan. They're going to take the gospel into Asia, but they're forbidden to go there by the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 9, Paul's given a vision of a man in Macedonia saying, come to Macedonia and help us. In verse 10, they immediately respond in obedience to that call from the Spirit to go and take the gospel into Macedonia. In verse 14, the Spirit affirms 
their reading of his call by opening up Lydia's heart and making her receptive to their message. And then in verse 18, the Spirit shows up in power as Paul, in the name of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, casts out the spirit of divination from the slave girl. So the foundation of healthy partnership in the gospel is that we submit together to the work of the Holy Spirit amongst us. And as we partner together with the Holy Spirit, he's going to take us to people that might surprise us. So first, Paul. We know about Paul from Acts chapter 9. His conversion from Saul, the proud Pharisee, ravaging the church, dragging men and women out of their homes, throwing them in prison because of the name of Jesus, to champion of the church. The Pharisees had a series of prayers that they would um, that they would pray morning, evening, had prayers for everything as part of their observance of the law. And one of the prayers that Pharisees would pray, paraphrased, was something like this. God, thank you that I am not a Gentile, that I am not a slave, that I am not a woman. And so who does the Holy Spirit lead Paul to partner with in our passage this morning? Partner number one is Timothy. Timothy's mother and grandmother were Jews. Timothy's father was a Greek, which is not great, a great resume for the folks that Paul would have hung around with. In fact, it's why Paul had Timothy circumcised before he took him on a journey, on the journey, not because Paul thought it had any circumcision had anything to do with salvation, but because Paul knew that this would cause trouble amongst the Jews. What about Lydia, a successful businesswoman, also not some, someone Paul would have been uh, keen to partner with in his previous life. And then a slave girl possessed by a spirit of divination. None of these things cry out Pharisee of Pharisees, right? This is what happens when we partner with each other and with the Holy Spirit. We should expect the same sort of diverse coming together of people saved by grace through the testimony of the Holy Spirit as we partner with the Spirit in our midst. It says something about God when people who would otherwise be hostile towards one another are brought together in humble fellowship with one another. It matters how we partner for the message that we're trying to take to the, to the world. <clears throat> okay, so the, the foundation of healthy partnership is obedience to the Spirit together, that we together are listening to and are sensitive to and are following the lead of the Holy Spirit. So I want to look next at how these Christians did this together, specifically how they put themselves in a position to lay down their lives for one another. Because this is what it looks like to partner in ministry. We together follow the lead of the Holy Spirit, laying down our lives for one another out of love for each other and a desire to see the gospel go out and change more people. So it cost Paul to take on the role of spiritual father to Timothy. This did not come cheap to him. First, Timothy wasn't exactly a rock star. We see this from Paul's writings to Timothy. He's constantly encouraging Timothy. Timothy, be bold. Don't let them look down on you because you're young. There are people that are trying to twist the gospel. Be courageous. Don't be ashamed of the gospel or of me and my imprisonment for the gospel. And like I mentioned earlier, Timothy could certainly get Paul in trouble with the very people that they're trying to take the gospel to. In fact, it often did. Paul's also, Paul also takes big risks with Timothy, leaving Timothy behind with these vulnerable churches that they're planting. So we know uh, from New Testament writings that Paul 
leaves Timothy behind in Ephesus. And just like every church they plant, as soon as the apostles leave, people come in and try to twist the message, twist the gospel. And so Paul writes to Timothy to be bold and to stand up to these men that have come in uh, to preach a different gospel than what they learned from Jesus. So it cost Paul to partner with Timothy. But it also cost Timothy to partner with Paul. So Paul picked up Timothy before the second missionary journey in a town called Lystra. And this is not the first time that Paul and his friends have been to Lystra. Paul and Barnabas went there on their first missionary journey. They preached the gospel to the Jews as they would often do. And it's likely that Timothy's mother and grandmother were converted during this first missionary journey. Shortly after Paul and Barnabas preached the gospel, many received it and believed. The people of Lystra tried to deify Paul and Barnabas and worship them as gods. And when they rejected it, they dragged them outside the city and stoned them nearly to death. We don't know that Timothy actually witnessed it, but he certainly knew that that's what happened the first time Paul came to town. And he still signed up to go with Paul on this missionary journey. And even as we see from our passage this morning, it doesn't take long for Timothy to see firsthand the kind of reception that you get when you carry the good news of Jesus Christ into the world. So it cost Timothy to join Paul. It may well have also cost Timothy his relationship with his Greek father. We have no evidence from Scripture that uh, Timothy's father converted to Judaism at any point, certainly uh, not Christianity. And it's very likely that that was the end of his relationship with Timothy when Timothy decided to join Paul on this journey. It's especially sweet because often in Scripture, Paul refers to Timothy as his son in the faith. And Timothy sees Paul's, Paul as his father. It also cost Lydia to partner with these men. Lydia was a successful businesswoman. Her trade was to travel around selling uh, purple dyed goods. She wasn't selling them to the, the peasants and the poor folks in town, right? People who could afford to buy purple goods had money. Those were often the people most offended by Paul and his friends who came to town. And Lydia partnered with them anyway. She very publicly hosted them in her house, hosting the first house churches in Philippi. <clears throat> so the way we partner together in ministry is together submitting to listening to the Holy Spirit laying our lives down for one another taking on the cost of loving one another and look at the powerful testimonies that this led to in the lives of these people these are Paul's words from chapter 4 of Philippians his letter to the church of Philippi that we see founded here in Acts 16 Chapter 4, verse 10, 13 and following. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You know that verse, right? Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Where might Paul's ministry have ended up without the support of the Philippian church early on? Where might Paul's ministry have ended up if he and Barnabas had not parted ways well? And we know that Barnabas was an early advocate for Paul. When Paul first converted, there were a lot of people that had a hard time believing that Saul of Tarsus was now a Christian. And Barnabas, a leader in the church in Jerusalem, 
testified on Paul's behalf and advocated for him. What if Barnabas had burned Paul on the way out the door? How might that have affected Paul's ministry? <clears throat> and look at the testimony of Luke and Timothy and their faithfulness to serving Paul. Paul's second letter to Timothy is among one of the last things Paul would ever write. He wrote it from a Roman prison, likely on a fourth missionary journey while he was awaiting execution. It's clear from Paul's second letter to Timothy that he saw that the end was close for him. And he writes to his son in the faith, please come and see me. Try to make it before winter. Bring my cloak and my writings because everyone else has abandoned me. Luke only is with me. Would Paul have had the faith to write that letter to Timothy if Luke had also abandoned him? People hear these testimonies and they see the truths that we see in Scripture. They see the truths that are in the gospel message in the lives of people that are changed by that message. It matters how we partner together in the work of the ministry. So I mentioned earlier, we called this series uh, Their Story and Ours, Acts, Their Story and Ours. So it's not just our ministry that we're carrying out, it's Jesus' ministry that he commissioned us to carry forward in Acts 1. As I was preparing for this, I, I wondered to myself, uh, just in kind of thinking through some of these questions, how might my own testimony have changed? without the influence of the people that have come alongside me along the way and partnered with me, patiently instructing me, patiently instructing me, lovingly correcting me, helping me, encouraging me, just like Tamise did this morning when she was praying for me. It's, it's what it means to do ministry together, the power of the Holy Spirit, assuming the cost of doing life together, loving one another, having each other around our dinner tables, speaking into each other's lives, how might your testimony look different without the people, some of the people in this room? Our love for one another is a manifestation of the message that Jesus died for our sins to reconcile us to God and to one another. It's from John 13, 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So it matters how we partner in the gospel. When we must part, we will part well. And it matters that we partner well, laying down our lives for one another, assuming the cost of fellowshipping together and doing the hard work of ministry. It's not likely that any of us in this room who are watching online will end up the same way Paul ended up, alone in a cold Roman jail, awaiting execution for the work of ministry. But there are some dark, lonely, cold times in the work of ministry. And the way we get through those is together laying down our lives for one another, listening to the Holy Spirit and following where he leads. Amen. It's his work. Yes. So Jesus bought this unity for us on the cross when he shed his blood in our place for our sins. It's a precious unity. So we preserve it in the way that we partner together with him and with the Holy Spirit. And every week we have an opportunity to celebrate 
the gift of unity that Jesus bought for us on the cross through communion. So I'll invite you now, if you are a believer, would you take your cup? <clears throat> As we remember Jesus' body broken on the cross for us, Jesus' blood shed on the cross for us so that we could be reconciled to God, reconciled to one another, and be a witness to Jesus to the ends of the earth, that his spirit is working in our midst to make God known. body of Jesus broken for, for us, the blood of Jesus shed for us. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you that you sent your son, Jesus, to die in our place for our sins and to make a way for us. Jesus, we thank you for being the way. <clears throat> that because of your sacrificing love on our behalf, there is a way to the Father through you. We thank you, Jesus, for your truth that we see here in your scripture and that you make that truth alive through the relationships that are represented in this room. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would help us to be sensitive together to your work in our midst, that we would be able to see you working, and that when we see you working, we would follow and give ourselves to the work that you have for us here. God, I pray that as we find ourselves in seasons of darkness and coldness and loneliness in the work of ministry, that you would knit us together as a body of believers, that we would lay down our lives for one another as you laid your life down for us, and that our love for one another would be a testament to your love for the northwest side of Indianapolis. Father, I pray even as we leave this place today that we would leave united in your blood in the power of your spirit to take your name to our neighbors and to do it in the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus Christ and in love for one another. God, help our testimony be true. That people will see that there is forgiveness to be found in Jesus because they've received forgiveness for us, from us. And help us to be faithful to the work that you have for us here in Indianapolis, Lord. We love you and pray these things in Jesus' name.